0: Welcome to another edition of the Heron Outlet. He is Austin Robillard. She is Alex Winley. I am Ian Hest. And uh, the penultimate game did not go into Miami's way. A 3-1 loss to New York City FC, the last home game of the year, officially eliminates them from playoff contention. We talked about it last week. We've talked about it for the past couple of weeks. After that second six-game losing streak, it really looked like it was a long shot at best. They still were mathematically alive. No longer the case. They will close their season uh, this Sunday on Decision Day against the Supporter Shield champion New England Revolution, the first time traveling up to Foxborough to face the Rebs uh, in what has been a historic season for them, uh, probably the opposite of how Inter-Miami is feeling right now. We'll touch on that later in the show. But, guys, let's start with that NYCFC game uh, I, I disappointing has to kind of be uh, the the word of the day uh, on it. You would think that they would have had a little more of a fight. They didn't really seem to take the game to them. I've said long, a long, long time that I think that NYCFC is one of the best teams, uh, and and could easily win the Eastern Conference uh, in that in that conference, and and so that really was on display uh, at Drive Pink Stadium. Your initial thoughts on what you saw from, you know, just a, a game that I, I felt like it encapsulated the season. that it was like, ah, the, the, it, just the talent gap was too big.
1: Yeah, not only was the talent gap too big, but it just seemed like the drive left out of uh, Drive Pink Stadium, not, pun not intended there, um, from the team after the Castellanos scored that, that first goal. And I think Phil Neville said it best, one shot, one goal. The best players on the team are meant to make plays, and Castellanos did that in the first half. And actually, I think, you know, Miami were maybe a little hard done by in the first half because I thought that they were performing somewhat well in that first half. I thought that they were the better of the two sides for the majority of the first 45 minutes and once the the goal was scored it just kind of seemed like they could never, you know, turn the ship back around and it's unfortunate because, you know, obviously it was the the Federico sending off and also they were still technically mathematically alive so you would have liked to see, you know, a little more I'll still use the word again, drive from them in the second half, but it, it wasn't there, and they end up losing the game three one. Um, the the goal that that Matuidi got beaten behind by by a ball. It was just there was a lot of poor poor plays, individual errors, and, and the team just lacking not only quality but but commitment. It seemed and and passion to play for the badge. I guess if you want to if you want to call it that, it was it was a tough watch, and as much it was. Good for Figal to to get a goal. I I just it was an unfortunate watch and i wish they would have carried over the momentum they had somewhat built in the first half over to the second but like you said in the story of the season once this team goes down it just seems like heads drop the confidence is low and they have a tough time building back and getting results there was only a couple of times where miami uh, at drive pink stadium it was in that stretch of like 12 or 13 games where they were winning a lot or, or at least getting points a lot where they would cut they would have some come from behind victories at home and you just thought that maybe that could be this could be one of those games, but the confidence just looks so low that I never really had any optimism. Seeing how the the mannerisms were on the field for some of the Miami players, and as unfortunate as that is to say, it's just been the story of the season.
0: Alex, I look at this game, and and to me, it just the the names on on the field. You look at you know Morales, Castellanos, James Sands, Keaton Parks. I mean they have so much that that just like that roster it just it flows better it it looks like a like a more um in touch team instead of the eleven individuals that it looked like inter miami had on that pitch is that something that you can look at a game like this as we prepare and start to talk about the off season that you can sort of start to look and say like Okay, there might be a blueprint because we talked about it the past couple of weeks about Colorado and the season that they've had, Nashville, the season that they've had, and those being those small market clubs that have built through sort of the MLS structure. NYCFC is still a very big market, the the biggest market in the country – um so they're a big market team they're playing in yankee stadium they have the designated players is that sort of maybe a little more of a blueprint to figure out how the fluidity can look a little better
2: yes i think Me came into this league expecting one thing and they built something completely different and now uh they're on their second coach with phil neville and even during the post-match conference he said uh verbatim nothing i saw today surprised me nobody Nothing about today told me things that I didn't already know. The work we need to do to become winners will be a lot. I'm disappointed. So the fact that he's already saying, "Well, we knew this would happen," it shows that it's a just it was a reoccurring. This was a reoccurring theme throughout Inter Miami season: the individualism, not playing as a team, and you know. As a coach, yes, you do bear some p- responsibility for that, but he has dropped DPs multiple times. He's dropped Pizarro a couple of games. He's dropped Eagle in a couple of games. Matweedy. Matweedy left halfway through one of them. So I, yeah, at this point, it, you know, I think he also said in that post-match conference, it's a matter of maybe, a. Uh, a uh, personnel change, and which is what we're seeing now already. There are a couple reports. None, nothing has been confirmed, but you know, Jean Mata. We did a video about him. He he may be coming in, and maybe a couple of other players. But it just shows that this NYCFC game was just you know the you know two polar opposite teams going in two opposite directions. I think over the offseason, Miami will have just a massive job to overhaul his roster. There are several players that. <sighs> they're just on they They're on, you know, big wages, and they don't produce enough. You know, we've talked about Julian Carranza. He's one of them. We talked about Blaise Matuidi, Rodolfo Pizarro. They don't. They don't produce enough. Uh, just outright to to warrant any of these contracts looking at the game you know they were both you know Miami had their chances you know they ended the game with uh 1.38 xg expected goals they had several shots on target they had several shots so it's not like that they they couldn't score nor did they create chances they just scuffed them you know in the 16th minute there was a perfect chance where excuse me Matuidi played in a through ball to, to Gonzalo and he slipped through the NYCFC uh defense pretty perfectly and he just scuffed the shot he didn't get a good strike on it and sean johnson was able to save it down to his left those are the types of moments that phil neville's talking about the lack of ruthlessness and goal and as a coach you can only talk to your blue in the face uh, you know but you need your players to perform inevitably and it's it's time and time again they've not been able to do that you know you can give players instructions but when they don't do them on the pitch you, you know it, you're standing there with your arms up. So th- this game against New York, it was just, uh, you know, a perfect, you know, game to encapsulate Inter-Miami season as a whole. You know, they look good for certain periods, but, you know, there's just locker room issues and character issues where, you know, they don't go down a goal and there's no true leaders on the pitch bar, you know, maybe Gregory. and And it's just frustrating to watch because yes, these players are talented individuals, but they don't, they never, they've never played as a team throughout the season and 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 it's it's you know it's it shows up on the pitch and you know it's it it gets very tiring to watch and to analyze because you know especially the end of this 2021 season you know after that Nashville game where they lost 5-1 I automatically thought you know there's you know I didn't think they were gonna make the playoffs and ultimately then they they're they're not making the playoffs so yeah there's just gonna be a, a massive roster overhaul and i'm shaking my head because you know it's just it's you know it's 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 unfortunate because this is miami's football club this is you know south florida's football club and i'd like to see it succeed but also as a journalist you have to be real here this team have the talented individuals enough to compete but they've not been able to string it together and you see the visible frustration on phil neville's face at every post-match conference saying oh i knew this would happen We're not playing as a team. We're playing as individuals. My DPs need to step up. I don't know how many more times he can say that before, you know, stuff needs to, you know, get blown up, basically.
0: I I wanted to touch on – you made an interesting point there saying that, you know, this is Miami's team. And they don't really – like play like Miami's team. There there is there is a, a, a rough and tugged uh, nature and 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 like an offensive but also a good defensive flair. To, you, we look at the Heat this year and everything like that. Uh, w- what's going on with them? One of the be- if, I, I think that the Warriors passed them as the best defensive team in, in the NBA, but they have been the best defensive team so far this year. You look at those Dolphins teams uh, from from yonder. You look at the Canes were known for the defense. There was there was like this grit that that went with the flare. That this team is sort of kind of shown the opposite they haven't really they, they it's been more individualistic which is very like not Miami uh, Miami's sort of a us against the world mentality and that I guess for me that has been the most frustrating part of how this team's iteration is because you know I, I've, I've been a broken record about this the biggest thing is the offense they've only scored 35 goals it's tied for the lowest in mls with expansion team austin who i didn't score for like i think 11 games or so many times like austin couldn't buy a goal um even if they wanted to buy the columbus crew that's a inside mls joke that i will probably get a lot of people what they scored three last night, Austin. did. They scored three. Well, they, that, that made them tied with with uh, Inter-Miami for oh. U.S. goals scored in, in MLS awesome. this season. Awesome. Quick side awesome. note yeah.
2: about Austin FC. There's a player on there. I, I, this is just me manifesting named John Gallagher, who I'd love to see on Inter-Miami because I just think he'd fit well. But that's another podcast topic. Okay.
0: We'll talk about it in the off season. I, I,
2: he I know got, you
1: he got thrown into the starting lineup last night actually. He wasn't yeah. supposed to start, but Lima was out due to something like right away when they released the lineups and John Gallagher stepped in. so he started last night. He wasn't oh, on wow. the initial
0: team sheet. yeah. Anyway, well, this isn't an Austin yeah. FC podcast, but they they, uh, they, they, don't, they don't score a lot into Miami. They haven't scored a lot. That has been the crux of the problem. And the reason that I say that is they've also given up 53 goals. And that's not anything to shy about. That's still a lot. It's up there in MLS. But when you look at other teams, D.C. United has given up 53 goals. They're fighting for a playoff spot on decision day. Portland's given up 53 goals. They're comfortably in the playoffs. And the reason is D.C. scored 53 Portland scored 54, and and so I I look at a lot of the uh, Real Salt Lake has has given up 54 goals, and they're still in the playoff hunt. So uh, on decision day, they they have a chance to do this. So how much of this is, you know, do we look at that back line and say? man, we've been really tough at times on LGP, really tough at times on Feigal. There was that stretch of games with UoA right back. We haven't really at times known who the left back was going to be. Joven Jones was out for pretty much the whole season. Kieran Gibbs didn't play as much as we thought. Breck Shea was there for a while. Sam Ghadiri was getting time there for a bit, right? Like, we, we've talked so much about this defense, but have we... I guess underestimated. Once the switch was made from McCarthy to Marsman, it improved, but not... Subs- I mean, it, like, Marsman is a better goalkeeper, I think, that we can all agree. But it, it, it was... You didn't see all the shutouts the, again and again and again. But the scoring is really where it is. So is this a situation where you just take the entire offense and say, you guys were not the ones getting it done, and we need Lewis Morgan to get up the field and get these crosses, and we can't have him playing left wing back anymore.
1: Uh, well, I'll say this: this is how I'm going to start my my rebuttal. You don't have a DP on the back line. You're not spending as much money as you are on Gonzalo Higuain, Rodolfo Pizarro, Julian Carranza, Blaise Matuidi. You know those those are the guys that are getting your money. And I know LGP and Figal are making a substantial amount. And I know that we have both talked about you know those guys. One of those two, I think we've leaned towards LGP if one of them are to go. Leaving, he does make more money, and Figos younger and seems to have more promise right now. But at the same time, at the end of the day, I think you're right, Ian. I, I didn't realize how many teams have conceded over 50 goals, but there, there's, there's a lot of them in MLS. And like you said, there, there's still some that are contending, so it's not – Abnormal for a team in MLS to concede the goals that Inter Miami have. It's just the attacking output where Miami is truly lacking in terms of. I'm not going to say that conceding fifty goals is a good thing. I'm not going to say that they they should be conceding fifty goals and that's okay. And you should just combat that with with goals of your own. But it's still doable in on an MLS standard. It's still doable on an MLS level and even on an MLS playoff level. You look at Portland. The, the things that you just pointed out. Who 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 beat us uh, in Portland? So. It's, it, it's shocking to me after you point that out, and I will say that as much, you know, discredit we've given to the back line, I think it's unfair to the likes of Christian McCoon and LGP and Figal at times, despite their yellow card issues. It's unfair to even Nick Marsman. It's unfair to Breck Shea at times when he's been playing, and even on the right side, whoever is over there, whether it's, you know, Figal, Leardom, or, 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 you know, whoever else plays over there. It's, or Morgan, that's who I was going for. Right wing back Morgan, I mean... They have to have an attacking output to combat not necessarily a normal MLS standard of, of conceding goals, but a, a a one that is manageable. Manageable is the word, I will say, for what they've done in the back line. It's manageable, and it, other MLS teams have proven that. And where your money lies right now, if you're not able to combat that with the players that you have, the big names, high-profile, star-studded, if you want to call it, and high-salary players – that's that's where the issue lies for me, and I'd be okay, personally, personally, I'd be okay with this back line going into 2022 if they were to get rid of those high-profile attackers who are on a lot of money to bring in younger ones because I think that there would be more hunger for them and more relentlessness, as Phil Neville has spoken about, um, to try and get goals other than what we've seen, and maybe... It's not just about that. Maybe you know the the effectiveness and the efficiency has always been an issue. I think Alex, you pointed out in the sixteenth or seventeenth minute, Gonzalo Higuain had that shot, which uh, Sean Johnson saved very easily, and that should not have ever happened. Um, it, I think that 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 goal or that that shot had more of an XG number than than Fiegel's goal did. It had more, it had almost double the number of XG on target than Figo's goal did. I mean the that 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 shot has to go in the net and how many times have we said that for not only Gonzalo Higuain this year, but a lot of the other players, Rodolfo Pizarro being one of those two. I think he had a chance later on in the 86th minute that had a really high expected goals number. Um, And that's not the first time that that's happened. There have been so many chances. And if some of these chances go in, results are going to go their way. How many different one goal losses has this team had? How many times has the defense actually kept this team in games despite the blowout losses that they've had this year? it's on the offense. I think that it's on the offense as much as it is on the defense, more than it is on the defense. And then I guess on the midfield as well, you've had that rotating um, partner next to Gregory week in and week out, and maybe it has to do a little bit with that, but I would say it's more on the attacking players than anything.
0: Alex, how much of that weighs into the decision to bring up these Fort Lauderdale players that we've been talking about? Because, you know, I, we had joked in our interview with Darren Powell Uh, that you know they play a lot of three two games four three games they score a lot but they also concede a lot so their offense is almost like the exact opposite it's almost like the exact opposite situation with inter miami how much do you think that'll factor in next season with these players that'll come up
2: Uh, a big factor i think there's several players on fort lauderdale that will be Coming up to the first team, just because they're so direct and so good in in the offensive final third, guys like Mitch Curry, Sean Hundall, um, you know Georgia Costa and whatnot. I think in Miami are missing those sort of route one soccer type of players that are just hungry and will go to goal no matter what. And looking at uh, Miami's offense this year, it's mainly through Gonzalo Igoin. What he has, what thirteen goals, nine assists this season. You know if if you take Gonzalo's goals out of this team, you know Miami's. Well, they're already at the bottom of the, of the Eastern Conference, but I, I believe they, they they would they would have been below Cincinnati if had you know Gonzalo not score all those goals. So the only player with
0: more with with a higher xG than than three point three is Robbie Robinson at five point one. That's how that's, little everybody else is produced.
2: Yeah. And it's, it, it's a huge issue. And you, we've heard Phil Neville talk about it that, you know, let's say hypothetically if Gonzalo does retire next season, you know, who's going to carry the offense. And uh, it, and it's, it's, it's interesting to think about, but you know, the way that the team is going, uh, I want to touch on your earlier point about it not being a true South Florida team, you know, you know, this team's not really gritty at all. You know, it's very, flashy you know there's not a lot of heart you know a lot of the players give up too easily you know we'll touch on this later in the pod maybe they, they don't come over to clap at the end of games but you know there's not a lot of grit on this team and I think that's what that's what's missing and I think that's what the Fort Lauderdale uh, uh guys can will be able to bring up you know we have already seen Sammy Gadiri Mabika, Ascona did get some playing time earlier in the season you know they've had that heart you know a lot of them being South Florida natives they have that pride playing for you know, enter Miami. So uh, that's something the club is desperately missing because when results don't go, um, you know, Miami's way, which was the majority of the season, a lot of the players, you know, they're not from here, so they may not really care as much as, uh, you know, a Gadiri would or a Skona would, and and or George or George Acosta would. So I think bringing that, you know, that Miami native, Miami blood into the team will definitely do a world of good. And not only that, they're also very good offensively, and they're young and malleable. So tactically whatever phil neville throws at them they will just dive straight in and i'm really excited to see how that works out over the off season and, and we know that preseason will be coming up uh sooner than we think so uh we'll see a lot of changes over the next few weeks and a lot of them will definitely be welcome changes
0: pre is only like 10 weeks away actually when you look at it so yeah, it's really it's, it's really going to a- come faster than we think i wanted to turn I, I wanted to touch on that that 3.3 that is Lewis Morgan, his third highest expected goals for the entirety of the season. The entirety of the season is third highest on the team at 3.3. Robbie is second highest on the team at 5.1. 3.3 is one goal every 11 matches. 5.1 is one goal every seven matches. Like, think about that, that those are your two of your three highest production uh, uh, like attacking options. That winds up. I mean, Bizarro. I think is fourth at two point nine. I, I think off the top of my head. Don't quote me on that. But I, just the fact that it is just solely that the goal production and the expected goal production is Gonzalo has to be cause for cons- concern, especially considering Lewis Morgan was playing defense for her for seventy five percent of the season.
1: That that was my that was my point. That's why I wanted to jump in with with Lewis Morgan.
0: I stole your thunder. Sure.
1: You did, but producing as a right back with the third highest expected goal total on the team, where, like you said, in that middle part of the season where Phil changed the formation, Lewis Morgan, I mean, where were his shots on target coming from, if at all, during that span? So the fact that the other attacking players were not able to produce an XG or – we we say XG a lot, but I, I, I want to just clarify XG is a – I mean I, pretty,
0: I like it as a stat. That's- <laughs> I love it
1: as a stat. I think that it's really, really important because it it shows the quality of chances and not only that, but the accumulation of chances they're getting as well. It has to do with both quality and quantity and the fact that Lewis Morgan is that high and the fact that he's – how he scored two goals this season, maybe three if you count the, the own goal – that's not enough for a player that you would want to see that you saw last year, but it's enough for a player that's playing right wing back. Sure. But then you look at all the other players and he's third highest on the team. Surely that's not enough for anybody who ranks under him, who's supposed to be an attacking player. So that there, there's just this crazy, um, what's the word I'm trying to use. There's this crazy, is it, it's almost a disassociation with, with the players within themselves and how they are a cohesive unit on the team. And, and, the attacking output is like we said, it's not, I don't think it's been as much on the defense as we have um, accredited to. I think that going forward, when you bring in a guy like Mabika next season, hopefully he can, he can, you know, actually he's actually shown two really good MLS performances, but if he can get accustomed to MLS like quickly and you have a young back line with McCoon and um, Mabika to build around, then you want to get younger on the offense, bring in those Fort Lauderdale CF guys who have shown the hunger under Darren Powell, shown the, the grit to grind out four, three wins while they were conceding at the back. Those are the players you want on the team. I don't think that Carranza or Higuain or Pizarro, are the guys that are going to do that for you? Maybe even not Robbie Robinson, who has the second highest xG, but has not been scoring the goals that he should. I want
2: to go ahead. Alex. Excuse me, sorry, Ian. I I I think the Robbie Robinson, he's an interesting case because at the beginning of the season, he's he was looking good and he was improving from last year. But ever since that Chile incident, he's he's not been the same. And I know Neville said, you know, he's a big boy. He has to make his own decisions. Clearly, it's affected him, and he, his his output has been, uh, you know, abysmal. You know, his he's not been able to be as effective as he he once he once was, which is, you know, he still got he still has that pace and one up, but it's not as you know, he, it's almost as if he's a one trick pony now. Like defenders know how to 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 get his number. You know, all they do is need to, you know, you know, press him you know, not let him turn. And, you know, most of the times he'll, he'll lose the ball because it's back to the goal and he's not a good back to goal player. So, Robbie, I, I don't, honestly, this is a discussion for another pod, but I don't know if he's even starting next year, depending on who they bring in. You know, there's just, you know, Lewis Morgan will be there. They've been, you know, it's the off season. They me have been linked to a couple of wide players already does he start i don't know but you know i, I feel a bit bad because robbie does have that potential and you know the dk thing and whatnot but you know hearing those stats about him it, it's 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 you know it's a bit uh disheartening and upsetting because he does have that potential but you know it, you know mentality does go a long way in soccer and you know that since that chile call up and it going so down going incredibly south it, he's not been the same and yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how the, the you know the team handles that. I know they like him a lot, but you know, he doesn't have that offensive output that everyone expected him to have, you know.
0: I, I that DK thing will always annoy me. You you were always going to take Robbie first. Like, it, We have such yeah, revisionist a history of on college. that that it'll it'll always irk me. But anyway, um I, I do like the expected goals conversation. The reason that I do is that, you know. Austin, you pointed out, Phil said, one shot, one goal. And expected goals is what your expectation is, right? It is a cumulative stat of the chances you are creating and the probability that you are going to score that goal. So a penalty shot, for example, is I think 78, right, 0.78. So 78% of the time, you should make a penalty, right? Another shot point blank might be 0.6. Another shot from distance might be 0.04, so it's cumulative over the chances that you're creating. So if your goals are less than your expected goals, then you're not, you're not, you know, capitalizing on the chances that you are expected to create given the chances that you have been creating. So that fill quote of one shot, one goal, I think is very apropos in this uh, you know, talk about the offense that we've had. I want to – we're going to sort of continue with this a a little bit of frustration or dichotomy theme. Um, You know, Saturday was the last home game of the season. It was fan appreciation day. um, And, man, should we appreciate these fans because they are, are absolutely amazing. La Familia comes out. Uh, you know, win a lot of losses uh, or draws, they, they, and especially at home early in the season when they could not get results at home. Uh, this team uh, has a tremendous amount of support from the local community. Uh, that is, it is really unique in MLS. That's one thing that I love. You don't see uh, a fan culture like the one that Inter Miami has throughout. MLS writ large. There are great fan bases throughout MLS. Don't get me wrong, but they're, 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 it's just like a different sort of culture um, that they have. But there, there was a little bit of frustration, and um, you know, uh, maybe like uh, feelings that that things were. I mean, you know, the season hasn't gone the way that they wanted. And, you know, they were 10th last year in the East. They are 11th this year in the, in the East. Um, and now with the, going back to seven teams making the playoffs, they would have not made the playoffs had that not happened last year. Uh, with, you know, we remember, all remember with MLS's back tournament and everything like that, uh, ha- had it increased to 10 teams. So uh, w- what do we feel about the fans? I mean, maybe starting to get a little antsy wanting to see results uh how how the fan appreciate i thought that the team did a very good job uh with the fan appreciation day of of showing you know hey we get it uh this has been a tough year for everybody uh but but also just seeing that sort of hey it's about time that this team like you you know starts starts being what we all wanted it to be what well, would it, well, all of us i mean from from the organization on down to joe schmo fan that's taking his kid to the game we all thought that this was going to go a lot differently you know in year two so year three is this sort of a whoa what are we talking about or or is there still a honeymoon phase
1: um i think the the honeymoon phase is kind of over and done with to be honest i think after two years of i mean less than mediocrity it's been it's been bad to say the least um, i think that now the the pressure is on the club to to give back to these amazing supporters the pressure is definitely and I, and i think Phil Neville has addressed that multiple times he knows that, that 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 that's what's coming for him he needs to give back these supporters deserve a lot more so i would say that honeymoon phase is done and i think that no matter what the, a lot of the fans are still going to love the team it's their local team as we talked about earlier um and, and that's not going to go away but you just, they you owe them something now after two years and i know the first year was not any most of people at the club now i mean year one wasn't necessarily their fault but going into year two you know you you have like uh, around the same points per game number uh looking at the table i know that there were a lot more games this year but in terms of diego alonso stats and phil neville stats i think what miami are 38 points in 33 games played at the moment and diego alonso had 24 points in 23 games played I, I someone can fact check me on that but those PPGs are, are very close to one another and showing that they have similar records and they're doing pretty much the same thing and I know I mean even when you look at like the consistency issues losing five games in a row to start the season in 2020 we've had two six game losing streaks in 2021 I mean a lot of it is similar and how much more can you put the fans through at this point it, it's It's coming to the point where I understand the pressure. I understand the frustration that a lot of the fans are feeling. Um, Not that I think they're ever going to go away, but it's just – it's become an unfortunate thing for the fans because like you said, Ian, we we all – a lot of people expected this, fans or not, expected this to go a totally different way and it's failed on a lot of different fronts, unfortunately. And now the entire – ideology of the club has even shifted because of how poorly it went. They're now shifting into not the Ronaldos and Messis and I guess Higuain's, Matuis, and Pizarros are shifting to the guys that we talk about on a weekly basis here on the Heron Outlet. Mitch George Curry. Pasta. George Costa, George <laughs> like right, right. The Fort Lauderdale guys, like, funneling people through the academy and, and through the USL affiliate. That's where the club has shifted. And personally, as a as a journalist and analyst, I like to see that a lot more. I think that it, it would it instills roots into a club that might develop a Miami culture that we've seen with other teams. Maybe they, they obtain that grittiness in the future because you're bringing up young guys through a a system that, that, you know, is building them as not only, you know, players on the field, but characters as well. So there's, there's a lot of different aspects to it, but going into year three, you have to make a playoff push. You need to get there. I think if that, if they got to the playoffs this year, this was a conversation I had a lot last year. If they get to the playoffs, is all forgiven because for me, yes. If they get to the playoffs, there, there, there is, this is the, and that I wouldn't say it's the problem with American sports. Um, but it's, if you get to the playoffs, there's still a chance that you can go on and, and compete for a title and everything that you did in that 34 game season. And if it came down to MLS decision day, that's the only game that matters in the entire season now for, for enter Miami. If it, if it were to come down to this Revs game, if they were to win and get into the seven seed and sneak in, I, is all forgiven. For me, yes, because they get into the playoffs, they get a chance to to, to revitalize themselves and make a cup run. They didn't do that in 2020. They, they lost 3-0 in Nashville, so then everything wasn't forgiven. It changes just that quickly. But that that's just where, for me, Miami needs to, to set themselves. They have to set a bar. They have to understand they can never get this low again. And obviously the threat of relegation is not there, which is a really good thing for them. Uh, but going forward, you have to be a challenging team. You have to show that you have players that want to play for the badge. You have players that want to 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 help the supporters. Other than Lewis Morgan being the only one to clap at the end of every game, like that, you need more players like that in order to try and get into how, a spot. How where important is it? I want
0: I, w- I want to talk about the Lewis thing because that's something that I noticed early on. He is and and listen, this isn't a knock on everybody else, but and and some guys. I mean, UOA does it a lot too. Um, he's given his jersey to kids uh, on the sides, uh, but not straight to the supporter section. Lewis is the one that consistently, every single game, goes to the supporters. Uh, win or lose or draw, he's always the one that's there. Some other guys, you know, it, 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 some days are good days at the office. We all have bad days at the office, so it's understandable. Um, but I really think that that is, um, it speaks more to Lewis than it speaks to anybody else. I, I don't know if you're if you feel the same way about it, Alex. Um, just to fact check you real fast, Diego Alonso was 1.04 points per game. Phil this year was 1.15, so it is slightly better. Um, it is a marginal improvement, uh, but but that, that's just um, it, it, you know it, it still is 11th in the East as opposed to 10th in the East for whatever that's worth. Um, but Alex, just to to that point. Going up to the fan, not just the fans, because a lot of the guys go to the sidelines where uh, you'll see a lot more of the families. So maybe you have a lot more kids that are over there. But instead going like straight to the supporter section, is are, are, am I making too big of a deal over this? Is, is this really, I guess I just like European culture um, tells me that that's what you do. I don't know if I'm being a Euro snob there or, or what it is. But I just, I would like to see more of it. You know, I remember, I forget what the the win was, but it was such a great feeling seeing the entire team, the entire staff, they all lined up at the 18-yard box and ran up together. It was a really emotional win. And I remember I remember seeing that. I, I can't remember off the top of my head what the game was. I think it was the game that broke the six-game losing streak. Um but yeah. So. And, and so you could see like, like just like that connection. It was a moment. It was a mo, it was probably the moment of the season, I would say. Um, Yeah. I think it was Montreal. Yes. I think it was Montreal. Um, so thank you, Andres. Andres always a great producer for us. Uh So how, how much of importance is that? And am I just being a Euro snob?
2: No, it's important. I think if, Inner Miami, well, first of all, they're not even playing in Miami, and I know that's a big gripe. And I know there's the Broward folks that would love them to stay there, but you know, it, media-wise, it's a bit of a. Palm Beach uh, folks a, would too. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a it's a, for us Dade folks. It's a forty-five minute drive. It's it's a lot, but it'd be much easier if they did have Miami Freedom Park. But that's not going to happen for quite some time. But yeah, since the beginning, this club has honestly. I think they've been a bit tone deaf ever since the inception. I think, you know, you know, not having pink jerseys, the season ticket holders, not getting, you know, an inaugural season, season, uh, season ticket box. Uh, Yeah. I think they, they're finally giving them out now, but you know, at the beginning, that was a big, that was a big issue, you know, maybe not, you know, listening to the supporters when, when they were saying, oh, we just want, uh, you know, I think it's, they, I think that, at the beginning ownership wanted, you know, superstars, you know, that's why no one who has a good soccer IQ in their right mind would have picked up Blaise Matuidi. So, you know, he was even in, in 2020, he was, he, w- he was past his prime. I don't know. It was just a bad signing, but ever since the beginning, this front office has been, you know, I feel like they've been a bit tone deaf even with their, you know, their hiring Paul McDonough, he was a flop and, and, you know, Gonzalo Higuaín, while well, he's a good player. You know unless is a league where you need younger players to to build around. That wasn't the smartest move. Pizarro, it looked like a good move at the time, but you know it, you know he was he was the superstar. He was the main face of Inter Miami, and then that all changed when Gonzalo got here, and the attention shifted away from Pizarro to Iguain, and maybe he felt some type of way of that, and you know that coincided with his form dipping. I don't know. But talking about the the supporters, I want to read not verbatim because there's some. Uh, course language in there i want to read what the tifos said you know there's a couple of ones in english that said thank you win or lose we will be with you but the ones in spanish they said you know crap players players with no soul respect the colors respect the supporters now this isn't the first time that they've done this i believe was it after that dc lost where they wore the the ocean city i have it right there the ocean city colors um they lost what 3-1 it was a really bad loss where they played that back three for the first time and they conceded what two goals in was it 10 minutes? And, and you know, after the game, we, you know, we heard boos and, you know, a lot of players, uh, a lot of the fans were just unhappy with the performance and, you know, you know, supporters getting on the players. It's been a reoccurring thing during the season. So I'm not surprised. And, you know, honestly, it's not a, it's not a bad, it's not a bad banner because the players, you know, they, They should do more, you know, especially the DPS. They've they've not been. Well, I think I think it's
0: healthy, Alex. I think it's healthy. Yes. Every every family has a dis has disagreements every now and then, and so and, and you know, your parents tell you to clean your room, and you're not happy about it, and you fight back like I, so if we're saying this is la familia i don't think that there's anything wrong with it i think that there's another section of this that like your mother will all like your mother loves you no matter what right like so yeah that they will the supporters i think i give them a lot of credit for sticking with a very difficult thing i was thinking when you were talking there about three specific instances that i can look back at that was lafc the first ever game where that crowd was to go all the way to Los Angeles. I understand it's your first ever game, but go all the way to Los Angeles. And that away section was at, you heard it on the on the TV broadcast. It was insane because LAFC, the 3252 bring it. And so the fact that like, you know, the the, the supporters group, La Familia, you know, the, the sections that they are, um, the fact that they showed out that much, the second instance I go back to is the Red Bulls game that got rained out because if you look at the, the post game scenes, all the Red Bull fans, and this is no disrespect to Red Bull fans, they were gone and inter Miami fans were still there cheering as in a wayside. I will also say that the Montreal game that had a three hour rain delay that, that had a rain delay. I, I think it was on a weekday too, Um, That had a three hour rain delay and no one in La Familia left and they were underneath the stands still screaming how they did that for three hours was absolutely insane. And then I look at at New York City this past uh, this past Saturday where, you know, everything has gone wrong. Not going to make the playoffs. Uh, You know, everybody understands that there's going to be a lot of turnover. Uh, All the frustration has built up. Some are saying you support no matter what. Some are saying no heart, no soul. You know, they're, they're, people are, are – are tensions are high, and yet they're still in it. They're still singing for 90 minutes. They're still uh, it, so invested in this club. I guess my question to, to either one of you is how much of that is, I guess, A, indicative of just any soccer supporters group, or B, indicative of Miami culture and, and what – we went through to get this team because it took so many years just to get here. So let alone not get it to where you want it, but just the fact that the team exists. I mean, you can even go back all the way to the fusion days, right? Like just to get here is so much, but then also a lot of the branding around the team has been looking towards the internet, like the global aspect of inter Miami, a lot of talk of, you know, there, there's a supporters group in Paris. Um, they, they wanted to reach out to the Latin American community in South America. That You know, David Beckham's the owner. We, we can't, you know, ignore that. And, and his, you know, the, David Beckham and Bill Neville, England internationals, um, they went out, one of the first signings, Lewis Morgan from Scotland. There is a very big international flair. The, the club's name, right? The club's name is Internacional. Right. So they, they, they wanted to really brand this as a global team. And I wonder how much bringing the kids through the academy now, the focus shifts towards a more local, you know, grassroots club instead of this global brand that has been at the forefront of this the whole time and how that will impact um, the supporters groups and their culture as well.
1: I I don't think it's going to impact the the supporters at all, personally. I I think that a lot of what we've seen this year from the supporters is always going to continue because they're just that good of supporters. I think that La Familia is one of, if not the best fan base in MLS, and they've proven that through two almost horrific seasons, I would say. And this is, I mean, it's, it's hard to say that It's hard to say that they're not one of the best in MLS given what
0: they've gone through and the... Given what they've gone through and the fact that they're like still singing and trumpets and all of this, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it's insane.
1: And the times that I have been lucky enough and blessed enough to actually travel to other games, uh, Portland, Atlanta twice, Orlando, of course. Um, I was at the LAFC game in year one. I was at the DC United game in year one. I mean the Nashville game, the Nashville playoff game, by the way, was probably my favorite one that I've ever been to. And I know that that sounds crazy because they lost three nil, but that's another one of those instances where we can look at Lewis Morgan and say, this guy walked over and handed his Jersey to like a, a, a little, a, a, a child and it made her day after a, a horrifying defeat to, to Nashville. And it's just those kinds of moments from players like Lewis, who are going to keep the fans invested, that's why they are so important. And if Ian, like you said, now that I'm, I'm actually going to change my answer, if you keep players like that around and you keep players who are invested in, let's say Miami, and, and they come from local and they and you buy local, you stay local. Maybe that helps the players' passion, which is going to translate into supporters' passion. So now I'm kind of thinking, real well, five wait a till I die, right? Like exactly.
2: 305 till I die. That's what because it. Because I, kind I of don't nine five four in this instance. Nine five four.
1: No, does does Gonzalo Higuain care about like Miami? Let's say like no, I, I I don't I don't think that that's necessarily the case, and maybe he was growing a liking to it. But when you bring up, let's say Edison Escona gets a ton of minutes next year, that guy is going to be one of the most passionate guys on the field for ninety minutes all the time. That, I mean he he lives in breeze south florida that that's where he's from he's grown up here and now he's playing for his local club his local professional club might i add that that is something that is special so i think that it might actually help the supporters to to stay local in terms of players in term in, instead of this you know global brand bringing in high profile names as much as that would help you know international exposure
0: I think you went all the way around in this. In, I, in, did in your, I did a yeah, whole circle. I did a whole circle.
1: But as much as as much as the international exposure would be a good thing for this club, La Familia is what's been there through thick and thin, and it's not been the international exposure that that's that's been there forever. It's been La Familia who's been there, and that's the people you need to. Um, put your thoughts towards when when building a roster when building a team when when building a club branding the club um and i think that's why we saw that i mean we even saw a glimpse of that in in the 2021 preseason press conference with with beckham with moss with neville with henderson that was the focal point of that entire conference and i think that that's going to be something we see next season
0: too But the other thing, Alex, is like, you know, you and I, we've all been in press conferences where there are reporters from The Guardian that come in. There are, you know, reporters from South America that come in. So this this club gets covered uh, on that global scale. How can you not just, you know, how how do you get how do you just ignore that?
2: I mean, I'll take one example. Look at Ajax. You know, they've stick to the they've stuck to this philosophy, this four, four, three. For 3 3 excuse me, haven't had my morning tea yet. They've stuck to this too philosophy many, for... Too,
0: too many players on the pitch there, Alex.
2: Yeah, <laughs> they've stuck to this uh, philosophy for, for, you know, their entire existence. And you look at the players who leave Ajax and go to other clubs, even then they, they still have that Ajax philosophy in them. And I, I'm kind of envious of that because that's, that's what I want Inter Miami to be. So when they were signing these these, you know, European superstars, I was a bit... You know, yes, they can have the team, but I was skeptical because I really wanted, you know, players from, you know, South Florida, maybe players that, you know, aren't as as high profile as some of these other guys to, to come into the club and actually pro- properly build a culture. And when you get players who have played in, you know, in Europe and, and all these other clubs, they, you know, they may not respect the history or the foundations that they're building here in MLS because it's still a relatively new league and Miami's a new team. So, maybe they they you know they're just here for a paycheck and may not care about you know what this club will look like in 10 years 20 years and and 30 years from um from from now you know we, we look at lewis morgan he's the type of guys that you know 10 years down the line and and we're doing like bar trivia you know you say oh who was you know the first inter miami player to hit 50 games oh it was lewis morgan you know he started every inter miami game so far and he's He's played the most minutes this year, if I'm not mistaken. So we need – the club needs more guys like that. You know, South Florida, we need – You know, more players coming through who are Miami natives, who are, you know, uh, Miami Dade natives, who are Broward natives to come into the first team and and grow that passion. You know, a perfect example Phil Neville and David Beckham, the class of 92. I think that's one of the main reasons why they hired Phil Neville in the first place because they wanted to recreate that here in South Florida, that, that sense of local pride, that sense of bringing up, you know, kids through the academy into the first team and ultimately. I just stole a word from Phil Neville. He uses that word a lot, ultimately, in his press conferences. But, you know, ultimately, once they get to the first team, they they want that that class of 92 feeling where, you know, they can go on and potentially win trophies four or five years down the line. And with Fort Lauderdale CF, we, we see that, you know, Georgia Costa, Escona, and even the guys who aren't South Florida natives like Mabika who are coming through, they're still young enough to be able to build that foundation. So in, you know, four years time, if any mind want to challenge for MLS cup, they can do so. And that's one of the main reasons why I think, Uh, I'm probably going to get heat for this, but the sanctions are maybe a blessing in disguise because this this front office, they were spending money willy nilly, you know, look at Julian Carranza there. He's on an absurd amount of wages, excuse me. And he's not, you know, had that output. So, and you know, Pizarro, the club spent 12 million on him and he's had what, how many goals in his Inter Miami career, you know, what nine in the span of two years. And it's just not good enough. And, you know, let's say you replace, hypothetically, you replace Pizarro with a Georgia Costa, Georgia Costa, he's from Miami, he's from South Florida, he will have that passion to go and crop the supporters afterwards, because he's ashamed of, you know, the results and, and, you know, if they lose, so I am just really intrigued and excited by this offseason, because, you know, uh, uh, not only will they have local talent, they will be bringing in players like, you know, we've heard the John Mata rumors, you know, that are cheap, but still good enough to play in a league like MLS. And, you know, look at Gregory, you know, he came in immediately and, you know, cemented himself as the captain, which is you know, telling that a guy from Brazil can come in and cement his place as, you know, the team's leader and, you know, Gonzalo Egoin couldn't, Blaise Matuidi couldn't, y- you know, LGP couldn't, Figal couldn't. So maybe this, the sanctions are what it, Miami need in order to get back on track. And let's say after the sanctions pass and they have money freely to spend, these two years, they'll have a foundation to be able to build on top of that. So if they do want to go out and, and get a European superstar that fits the philosophy that they've built through these three years, they can go out and do that and and that European superstar will be able to play alongside the, the Sammy Gadiris and the Asconas, the Felipe Felipe Valencias and the Georgia Costas to uh, to build a winning roster.
0: Guys, let's transition to decision day and uh what's in store for Inter Miami, the New England Revolution, the Supporter Shield champions, uh 73 points an MLS record uh never before done uh in MLS history and they did it with a game to spare. So uh, a very uh, impressive team. Inter-Miami, uh, really, n- n- neither team has anything really to play for. Uh, New England will get a bye, so they might play some of their players just because they're they're not going to have that midweek game that everybody else is going to have. Um, they'll, they'll have that whole week off. But decision day, always fun. All the – uh, Eastern Conference teams, will Houston ended their season last night, but all the Eastern Conference teams will play uh, at 3.30. All the Western Conference teams will play at 6. Um, not really anything to play for for Inter-Miami. They currently will hold the seventh overall pick in the MLS Super Draft. That can only change to eighth if they win, and San Jose, who is playing FC Dallas, will, uh, wins or draws against uh, FC Dallas, uh, then Inter-Miami, if they win, would have uh, the eighth pick instead of the seventh. That being said, it, it, is this a chance to just, you know, kind of throw um, throw some names out there that haven't been playing, get a feel? We talked about this last week, and it didn't really wind up happening. Uh, we got a little more of a traditional lineup, at least than what I was expecting, um, so what do we think in terms of what Phil is thinking for this last game of the season?
1: I kind of think that the reason that we got that more traditional lineup uh, last game was for two reasons. One Federico, you want to send him off for the win and two, they were still technically mathematically in a playoff race. So you can't really just act like you're giving up at that point when you're still technically in it, even though we know they needed to make up like an 18 goal differential and that wasn't really going to happen, but you have to show something for it, so that that was. I think that that's where that came from. But in this match against the Revs, who have you know they're playing in front of their fans, they're accepting the Supporters Shield trophy, and they're also trying to extend the record for most points in an MLS season. I, I think that they have something to play for, and
0: so that they you, have it for a longer time, right? Exactly. So, then, yeah. so
1: if you're Phil Neville, do you say? Okay, you know what? We want to be spoilers, or do you want to say, let me get some of these guys out here who haven't gotten a lot of minutes, like Ventura Alvarado, to see if I want him in 2022. I think that he has to balance um, those two things, um, but I don't think we're going to get a fully traditional lineup. I think that there will be some interesting decisions, um, and it should be it should be a good game. But we know what the Revs did to us, and we know the quality that the Revs have. Uh, and I'm not like super inclined to watch it. I'm a little worried about watching it. But at the same time, I want to see if the starting lineup, you know, is something that we haven't seen normally. That's something that's going to to really be intriguing to me because I, I want to know what some of these players can do against a record setting MLS side.
2: Yeah, I, I personally think that the Revs will go full out. Um, they don't play again. They, they have a first round bye, so they won't play again until late November. I think November 30th. I don't know. Bruce Renis had mentioned something about, you know, uh, NFL and, and whatnot, but they won't play until late November. So I fully expect them to go with a full strength lineup to get those guys minutes before they go into what, a, th- a two week hiatus before they play their next game, just to get some reps maybe by the, I don't know, 60th minute. He'll pull some of the starters and play the third, second string guys. But yeah, it's not going to be any easy game for Miami. And I, I yeah, I, I I I'd, I'd like for Neville to play some of these uh, Ventura, Alvarado's, Ascona's, gadiris but I I personally I think that, um, I think yeah he'll probably go full strength again. I don't know you know Pizarro, Matrudi. Uh, I I know Jay Chapman gets a lot of flack, but I like his game. He does a lot of the little things well. Uh, and I, I, I think that, you know, he'll go with a full strength lineup. I think Gonzalo will start, you know, if Fed already retire, Pizarro will start and whatnot. So, yeah, it'll be a difficult game, but I fully expect them to um, to you know, hopefully give it a go. But I, I don't think it'll go their way.
0: That will be decision day, 3.30 p.m. All of those games are the, for the East Coast teams, for the Eastern Conference teams, and then the West Coast teams, a 6 p.m. kickoff. Interesting to note, Orlando City is not out of the woods yet. I, I, I know that the, the rivalry has, has started to sort of heat up, but as Inter-Miami does not make the playoffs, Orlando City is not— it's amazing to think, because they were second in the East for so long this year, uh, but with a loss to Montreal, Montreal will be ahead of them. If New York Red Bulls win their matches well, Orlando City's out of the playoffs. Is that, I, I, I mean, it, I, it seems a little silly, but is that like any little bit of a consolation prize or like, is it, is it just like, is this all tongue in cheek? Like, is this just like a joke that, that an inter Miami podcast would make?
1: Yes. But it's also one less fan base that Miami have to like, you know, if Orlando made the playoffs when Miami didn't, that's like, Oh, we'll make the playoffs next time. Well, Hey, you've only made the playoffs, if they do miss, you've only made the playoffs one time in your seven or eight year history. And we were in there with you. So, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a it, it helps out Miami. It gives them an extra, an extra chip in the race. So that, that that's, it'd be a good thing. And I'm smiling because I can't control it, but it would be, it would I just be a think good it's thing. funny. I mean, <laughs> no, I think I, it, been, it would be funny.
0: I think the rivalries that have been happening with like Nashville and maybe to like a respectable standpoint with Atlanta, um, th- because there's a lot of like mutual respect amongst those fan bases. Um, I-, I think that those are like a little more organic. The Orlando one seems to be like a little uh, less fun. I guess I don't. I don't really know if you guys agree violent, with that.
1: Violent, I mean, I wouldn't go as far to say violent, but it's, it's close to, to violent. Like it it gets to that point, right? Like at points, which is not a good thing. But it gets. It gets to a point where it's crossing a line. Well, it just—it
0: sort of felt forced. It sort of felt like I was like told that I needed to hate you, and so now I'm forced to hate you, and so I'm going to do this irrational thing to hate you. I don't think that violent is the right word, but I think that like emotional is is maybe a little more of the the proper word. Alex, do you agree?
2: Yeah, it's it's a lot. Our Orlando fans have been going back and forth with Inter Miami fans since, you know, Inter Miami got announced. I I vividly remember. It was a Orlando's inaugural game at, uh, was it Camping World Stadium back in, was it 2015? And I think Kaka scored like a last minute equalizer or, or was it a winner? And the Orlando City admin tweeted, you can hear the screams all the way from Miami. And I believe that tweet is still up, which was, it was like hilariously... Early shade towards Inter Miami's bid because I believe they announced it the year before, so it it like this rivalry it's kind of forced, but at the same time it's been there for years, even beforehand, even before Miami got to the league, and you compare with something like that to Nashville, which is Nashville's supporters don't like Inter Miami because. When Nashville came in the league, they didn't get a lot of media coverage, and Inter Miami did, so naturally that breeds resentment. And that's fine, you know, but Nashville's always got Inter Miami's number, so it's a bit of a one-sided rivalry, rivalry, the kind of punching down a bit. But I digress. But Orlando, for sure, it, it it does feel forced, but I do think that there's some real animosity there, not between the players necessarily, but definitely between the fans. I don't know if there's a, a, rival, a rivalry between... Um, a team like are there any rivalries where Inter Miami players dislike the other players on the team i don't think i've seen that yet um maybe it's coming but i don't know if you guys yeah i don't know but as far as the fan bases go i think it's definitely orlando and miami that do not like each other at all and yeah i have a list of like the incidents and things I'm that to have think, like been. red
0: bulls maybe red bulls maybe
2: mm-hmm. Player wise, um, I, don't, I, don't, probably. I don't really know.
0: There's been so much player turnover that I don't really think yeah. that there's been people that have been here long enough to to have those sort of rivalries. I kind
1: of think to the uh, not I don't know if I mean, this is I think this is probably the closest it gets, but remember the uh, Philadelphia game in 2020, the penalty that Higuain took, and then there was all of that oh, wow. happening, yeah, and, yeah. So I guess Montreal, that, maybe too,
2: makes...
0: because they trained here during COVID. Yeah, I, I, I don't yeah, really yeah. know, like,
1: yeah. I don't know. But the one It'll thing, happen eventually. The huh? one thing about Orlando is, yes, it's forced, but at the same time, also inevitable, right? Like when you have two clubs from the same same state, like it's just bound to happen.
0: Well, and the other thing too, I, let's let's not forget the elephant in the room is that there were there were a lot of soccer fans here in South Florida that did not have an MLS team, and so they rooted for the closest thing to them because that was the road trip that they could go to to drive the three four hours to to see them so there were orlando fans that became inter miami fans that's just a fact right like they, they were soccer fans that didn't have a team now they do and so uh, i mean i don't think that that's a knock on inter miami fans but i think that there is there are people that you know, used to have friends that they were, you know, rooting together in the same stands and now they're on opposite sides of, of this animosity um, that, that I think that you can't ignore. I want to Austin touch on us men's national team with you uh, two world cup qualifiers coming up. Uh, of course, the big one, El tree coming to Cincinnati TQL stadium, an interesting choice to not pick Columbus to pick Cincinnati instead. Um, and the, the roster just came out. They'll also travel to Jamaica, which I think is might actually wind up being the more important of the two games in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things. But I do believe that uh, the U.S. men's national team can go top of the – are we calling this the octagonal now? It used to be the hex. Now there's eight. So the octagonal, I think they can go top of it uh, with the win over El uh coming up next week. And uh, just your first initial thoughts on the 25-man roster just released.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at it. I, I started with the, uh, with the defense because I, I wanted to see what center backs were included. I, I think that the center back pairing is a huge question for the men's national team going forward. And I see a lot of young guys, Mark McKenzie, Chris Richards, Miles Robinson, and then also Walker Zimmerman in there, who's still trying to prove himself to be a men's national team player uh, going forward. And I think that he has a quality to do it, but then there's also a lot of quality ahead of him as well. Um, I think we'll probably see a lot of a Chris Richards Miles Robinson uh, pairing, which is something that we saw earlier on. Chris should, Chris Richards coming off injury, uh, he got to be in the last camp, now he's in this camp, which is good. One name that sticks out to me though is Joe Scally from Borussia and Gladbach. His first call up, he will likely get his debut with the men's national team. That's going to be awesome. Sam Vines is back. I know that he's been playing a lot in Belgium, um, so that that that's interesting. And uh, I don't see Sergino Dest. I believe he's injured, so that that's unfortunate. It'll be interesting to see if you know DeAndre Yedlin or Reggie Cannon is a starting right back against Mexico. Uh, moving on to the midfield. You see, you know the the three that you kind of want to see: Yunus Musa, Weston McKinney, uh, Tyler Adams, which is awesome. Kellen Acosta is there. Gianluca Busio is also there. Leggett is the inevitable one that's always there, and then you still have uh, Burhalter's guy and Christian Roldan, which is just another one of those inevitable things that's going to happen. It's one of those like balance and verticality things that Burhalter speaks of, and then going forward. Pulisic's back. That's the big story there. Christian Pulisic's back. Uh, but I, I'm not really seeing other than Ricardo Pepe, like a, a true number nine other than Pepe. So it looks like, I mean, I think Pepe is going to be starting as a number nine in these next two matches. And I think they're going to, the US men's national team is going to try and solidify Pepe in that role. I'm really excited for Brendan Arrington. He's been outstanding for Salzburg this season, even in the Champions League. So that's really good to see. Uh, But I'm excited that, that Christian Pulisic is back. And then also you have the goalkeeping battle between Stefan and Turner, which I think Turner has the edge in right now. But that's something to look at.
0: Do you do you read into anything with Cincinnati? I found that to be the fact that they chose that as a venue. Uh, I know that you just did the roster breakdown. I mean, I think that Turner is the number one right now too. And I think that, you know, Ricardo Pepe with the season that he's had, with the year the 2021 that Ricardo Pepe has had, no one is having a year like Ricardo Pepe. Um, so I, I think that, that definitely you can go there. Like you said, nice to see Pulisic back. But to pick Cincinnati especially given crew and everything that happened with them since the last cycle and now also having a new stadium and being rivals of Cincinnati. Am I sort of like reading weird tea leaves here? Cause that, that decision seemed odd to me and I'm, I'm interested to see how, I, I guess I would, I would be curious to see how Columbus people feel about it. Um, but that, that, I just, it feels like you do, world cup qualifying usa mexico in columbus I, and and to to pick their biggest rival is just odd
1: i yeah I, maybe i'm
0: stirring up trouble but i don't even I realize think that I'm you're doing. stirring
1: up trouble that's like somewhat valid but at the same time I, was it a chance to play in tql stadium is this the first time the men's national team will be in tql stadium so yes that, that's one thing um Columbus had a game. I think also it would have been the first time in the new
0: Crew Stadium because they always played at Lamar Hunt.
1: But didn't they? I thought they played in the last cycle. Didn't they play? um,
0: Oh yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: I forget which team it was. Costa Rica, I think think it was. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Costa Rica. It was, it was. So I, I don't know. It's you know you want that Mexico Mexico game to be there. You know the the history that's there is more than anything you can possibly look over but I, I think a little bit but i'm also not from that area so maybe i don't I don't know what columbus fans are feeling well if they are well, feeling some of like type the, of way i'm not going to discredit them for it
0: but it, what i mean is like it's sort of like the um we were just talking about the, like the miami orlando rivalry right and those two venues right joe robbie is going up against camping world for sort of uh, uh hard rock sorry I always do that. Joe is, Robbie is going wow. up against Pro <laughs> players, uh, Sun Life, uh, yeah. Land, Land Shark. Sharks. Sharks. But one of those two is going to host for the World Cup, right? So, like whichever one gets that for for th- in the future is th- I mean that's almost like a like a venue rivalry in and of itself. I, I don't know. It'll, what what it'll
2: do you be think, rock, Alex? by the
0: way. It'll definitely be
1: hard rock. It I should so, be too. anyway.
0: It should be.
2: Um, I think. <laughs> uh honestly i think fifa will do both i don't know but if there's anyone uh, this is me being biased uh, if there's anyone that is equipped to hold soccer events it's hard rock stadium they you know renovated it not specifically but it's tailored to that like they're building an f1 track near it you know there's a tennis tournament the miami open that um is brilliant tournament that they host every year up uh, up there and you know um and every january so if there's any stadium that's equipped to hold a world cup event it's hard rock hard, hard rock uh, stadium nothing against uh, any of those those Orlando stadiums but I think Miami's just a bigger pool it's international you know well, but they you did know, just renovate
0: find- they did just renovate camping world too
2: they did yeah, well yeah. still orlando besides the amusement parks is not the best area i used to have family-
0: i used to have family wanna, members we, exactly. we don't want to get into that too much we've, we've talked about-
2: <laughs> objectively like they outside the tourism spots there's nothing to do there and i think if you asked any orlando native they'll, they'll agree but i had a family member who lived up there and it's just boring it's, it's fast food joints and you're gonna you know, get all the
0: orlando people in your it's, benches now.
2: it's fine i'll just mute them like I did with the Santos fans. But well, yeah, I think, I think it'll probably be both. But if I had to choose, it'll probably be a uh, hard rock.
0: Before we go, I do want to give out the, the shout out to uh, Miami FC uh, who will be playing in a playoff game. They did make the playoffs as the fourth seed. They will be traveling to Louisville city, which I, I think is going to be a very uh, interesting and exciting matchup. Uh, that'll be 8 PM on Saturday ESPN plus um, I, I I don't know how how much you guys have watched Miami SC this year uh, w- when you've gotten to see them. Um, they are an exciting squad. A, uh, a um, at times can be a little bit of a roller coaster. So not not dissimilar necessarily to Inter Miami. Uh, I, I think that they probably should have closed out the season getting up to one of those two or three seeds, but uh, didn't wind up happening. Uh, they, 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 snuck in as the four seed comfortably, comfortably as the four seed, uh, they, they, clinched with a couple of weeks to spare. Um, I think actually like a month to spare in the regular season. Uh, but I really, once they clinched didn't, uh, you know, it, it, like I said, it, it's kind of up and down with them. You never really know what you're going to get. Um, really excited to see them play against Louisville city. This is the one, uh, that I wanted to see, uh, very much so also, yes, Alex points out FIU, uh, 19th ranked in the nation, will play number one Marshall in Miami this weekend. Number one, defending, reigning national champions Marshall uh, in Miami. That game is on Saturday. Check out FIU's um, soccer website for that because uh, I, I think it's a I think it's a 6 p.m. kick if I remember right. Um, yeah, I have to double check. Maybe yeah, I, I, they're maybe normally 6 p.m. kicks.
2: Yeah, it's like 20 they, minutes. They, the fell
0: to, uh, they fell last week to number five Clemson, but then bounced back uh, against uh, FAU with a 4-0 win, which I actually went to. Uh, really, really looked like a, a quality team. This game against Marshall for them will actually decide the regular season champions for the conference USA. Uh, both teams, Marshall, number one Marshall and number 19 FAU. FIU is actually ahead of them right now. So all they need is a draw and they will be the number one seed in the upcoming Conference USA Tournament. Uh, FAU, I think, is locked in as the sixth seed as well, just to give my, my you know, Palm Beach County shout out. Uh, so a potential there for um, uh, FAU locked into a first-round by they'll either be the one or the two seed, uh, regardless of outcome. But that game in Miami this coming weekend should be very exciting. Um, I think I've touched on everything that we possibly could. So for Alex Winley... Uh, for Austin Robillard and for our producer Andres, I am Ian Hest and thank you for listening to the Heron Outlet. We will see you back here at the end of the season, guys. This is the last, uh, you know, last podcast that we uh, we have a game to talk about. So coming up next week, we'll be talking about uh, uh, getting started on the off season. This is the Heron Outlet. Make sure you like, share, subscribe uh, on Instagram, on Twitter, on YouTube on spotify on apple on wherever you get your podcasts we're all over the place and we will see you back here this time next week